Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Housewives Archives, a podcast where we discuss in great depth all things Real Housewives. My name is Ellie Nunn, and joining me is the Heather to my holler. Uh, it's James Evans. Holla. Holla. Hey, Mama. Oh, <laughs> hey, <doing>? Mama. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing great. Ellie, I can't help but notice you're sounding crystal clear today. Oh, James, I am so excited. I'm back from Cornwall. I'm sat on my floor in my wardrobe back in London, where I belong. And You really do. At the lower level, I hope. Hopefully all goes to plan. I should be sounding at least on your level, uh, if not above you. That will never happen. I'm up here, you're down there. Remember that. <laughs> know that. As Alison know well that. Ah. <laughs> oh. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing. I'm doing okay. It's a bit contentious in um, my household this week, I must admit, and I blame the podcast entirely. <laughs> Why? What's going on? <laughs> well, I think our newfound um, fame has got into my head. I feel very um, emboldened by what was once uh, my dirty little secret, and now I've been singing it loudly for all to hear. And as a result, uh, my husband is the one who's really suffered. So I, I think I kind of pushed it a bit too far this week, where I kind of. I forced him to watch New York. I forced him to watch Beverly Hills. And now I forced him to watch New Jersey. And I kind of bamboozled him into watching the music video for Melania Giudice's uh, single. <laughs> a seminal hit, I Can't Wait to Grow Up. And suffice to say, it did not go well. I didn't even get to the second chorus and the song's barely two minutes long. And it basically ended up with him saying, look, it's either me or Melania. This can't go on any longer. And I think you know what my answer was. It was Melania, right? Oh, for sure. I'm now divorced. Michael's gone. <laughs> He's out He's... of the house. <laughs> He's gone. I don't want no scrub. So the podcast launching has made you deeply obnoxious. More so than before. I'm now in Aviva Drescher's territory. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Aviva. Here we go, baby. <sighs> I'm in such a Heather mode at the moment. I've got to say. <laughs> I tell you what, I've got, to, I've got to say before we begin. Because you know what? Across the various Housewives platforms that I've encountered, uh, over the years i don't think i've ever seen her given enough credit i just gotta give a little something something to Kristen. yes i have just hit the end of of season six obviously i've i've watched obviously i've watched the whole show mm-hmm. through to season 12 yeah, yeah but i've just been recapping you know for work purposes and <laughs> i just hit the end of season six and i was just like Kristen is so good on this show mm-hmm. she really treads a line between likability whilst providing actually quite a lot of drama without becoming like an insane character or caricature. And I, you know, you know I love Mia Carol Radzivill. I do. And I, I, and I love Heather. But this, I have like a newfound love of Kristen. And I just think I'd forgotten her and I was remembering her as a bit of a, a bit of a boring 
sort of one two season edition mm-hmm. and going back and watching it again i, I I've, I'm renewing my vows with Kristen. Basically. Yeah, I mean, she in many ways is a really good all-rounder housewife because she's young, she's fun, she serves amazing looks. I actually think she is the best dressed housewife on New York City. Oh. And she she has enough uh, personal family drama that she's very open and vulnerable about, but she's also daffy and she's witty oh, and she gets absolutely. into proper fights. I mean, if I don't, if, if I don't die by being bludgeoned by a paddle by Ramona Singer, then I don't want to die. There's no other way. I mean... We should all be aspiring to be a Kristen on this show. I don't know why I thought I wanted to be a Bethany. Kristen all the way. Also, talking of the look she serves up, um, I just want to take a moment for her incredible outfit where she wore two different coloured shoes. Yes, yes. I think that's my favourite. Yeah, I think about that frequently and that it was supposedly just by accident and I, I completely buy that. It was I would wear that. Fantastic. Yeah, she really turned it out. She also did, uh, she made an incredible achievement, which I think uh, just sort of passes us by. But she, on her very first season at the reunion, was seated right next to Andy Cohen. That's like a Bethany spot. Yes, yeah, she was. That's no small feat. And she really held her own in that reunion. You know what, James? I could talk about Kristen all day, but unfortunately... And I really mean, unfortunately, oh, say she's it. not don't say She's it. not who we're here to talk about today. Oh, no. Kristen, she is not, is our Aviva. No, we've gathered here today to talk about Queen Aviva. Uh, (laughs) And to be fair, we can't talk about Aviva without talking about the great season five cull um, and revamp that the show underwent that Mm -hmm. brought with it, um, with the tide, Aviva Drescher. It's crucial context, Do you want to talk a bit about the... Sure. Thank you. Um, I thought you'd never The ask. new world. They plunged us in. <laughs> <laughs> it is a new world though, isn't it? Yeah, it does very much feel like that. So in it's some context. It's the year of our Lord, 2011. And the powers that be have decreed that uh, Roni needs a bit of a shake-up. And shake-up mm. they do. So in one fell swoop, Bravo fires Cindy Barshop, a one-season <gasps> housewife. Alex oh, McCall. I gasped at the wrong moment. Sorry. <laughs> 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 you gasped too early. No, you get you need some stamina for this. It is gasworthy though, but not for Cindy. Sorry, that never happens. <laughs> so Cindy's gone, Alex McCord's gone, Kelly Ben Simone is gone, and Jill Zarin all fired, and they're replaced with three new housewives. We have Banking New Women. Carol Cool Radziwill, Heather Holler Thompson, and Aviva Drescher. And needless to say, This was kind of a big deal at the time, and we've never seen before Mm. or since any housewife city be overhauled quite so extremely and so suddenly. And I feel like it almost is like a legend in the housewives world. I can imagine it's almost like um, like a bearded man on a craggy rock recounting a tall tale like set on the high seas. I can imagine like <laughs> Harry Dubin sitting at the Regency telling anyone who'll listen about the great housewives purge of 2011, you know? Well, silly is for me but, anyway. No, I, I agree because it, it wasn't just about new housewives, was it? It was the show got a whole new look in a way. Yes. It, got a, it got a much cooler look because all three women were sharp dressers like smart women for me this was a real moment where the show became somewhat aspirational i actually started being quite inspired by the women rather than finding them more ridiculous um you know there are cool jobs in there you know which which is shown up quite quickly when 
Ramona goes to visit Heather and is showing off her uh, talk at the learning annex um, to come. <laughs> and Heather can't not kind of laugh at that because suddenly, the you know, Ramona and her Pinot is looking a little worse for wear next to Yummy right. Tummy. It looks more like she's sort of selling it out the boot of her car. Yeah, they're, they're definitely not scrapping at a Kodak launch party anymore. You know, they've really right. like, moved on to pastures new. Right. I think that introducing these women with very successful careers was in some ways responsible for the downfall of people like Sonia Morgan because it really highlighted the chaos of their attempts right. at being kind of working women. They also came with a load of, of new taglines that I think had more awareness of wordplay and sort of snappy one-liners. And mm -hmm. the whole show basically got asked to, to pull its socks up and and get its shit together a bit more. Oh God, it really did. It, it feels like a shot of adrenaline that the show mm. maybe needed because as much, I honestly would say- hand Like to a heart, B12. <clears throat> right in there. It's, the show's <laughs> never had a bad season. <laughs> Yeah, just some Marmite, you know, <laughs> spread it on my toast. <laughs> right oh, I could do I, another I, shot of something. The show has never had a bad season. However, and it's sad to see those initial OGs go, but I do understand why the decision was made. And I feel that we've, we've mentioned this very fleetingly, that Bethany played a kind of a Greek chorus role and she sort of held a mirror up to mm. the rest of the women's insanity. And with Bethany gone, we kind of had a replacement in Cindy Barshop who kind of wasn't, bless her, she tried, but she didn't, she was the normal one, but she was kind of too normal. And I feel like her, her talking heads never went beyond those platitudes of like, Really? What are we? Children? I don't know if I would call her the normal one. She had twins that she didn't seem to, to have to parent. Well, she was just kind of all bark and no bite because I think she was kind of, in a way, the successor for Bethany and also the predecessor for the new women, where I think on paper she was meant to be the normal one and she was also mm. meant to be the young, cool, hip, downtown chick who can have it all. She's a businesswoman and she's a mum. And she yeah. kind of failed at delivering either of those points. She was, she was a halfway house. Absolutely. Which I feel like also there's something to be said for visually the, the change that we get with the new women is that visually it's a breath of fresh air. When I think of those first four seasons, I think of, I don't know if you do, lots of brown hues. You know, like the opening mm. credits. I think it's, it's that, that kind of like gold tone, but it also, um, it was like the way everyone's house was decorated as well. They were kind of decorated in that very old school New Jersey way that made it look slightly like an olive garden. It was like very pseudo Venetian with lots of like superfluous titty decorative hangings and haberdashery and tassels and things of that nature. And season five onwards just kind of felt a lot cleaner and more modern. And, and I feel like it's the same way with the women as well. I think a lot of the OGs, as much as I love them, they're very, um, Upper East Siders. They're kind of these relics from the eighties. And in a way I kind of include Bethany in that as well because even though she was normal and she had a more downtown sensibility she still lived in that world and operated in that world and so we either had those Upper East Siders the kind of the norm or we had hangers on like Alex and Simon or mm -hmm. they were kind of downtowners but they were either boring like Cindy or mad like Kelly so it was just nice to have cool Carol come in all of a sudden absolutely I mean the show had a very dated feel and to me come season five it felt like when Dorothy opens that door to her cottage and we're in Technicolor, people. And Oof, yeah. along with this new Technicolor world comes our very own Wicked Witch of the West. 
<laughs> Aviva Drescher. I feel like the house has squished kind of the Alex Kelly Bensmum hybrid of the Wicked Witch of the East and Aviva has stepped into their slot as the new kind of crazy. But the thing is, it's interesting because I feel like someone like Kelly... It, she only had a f- maybe six or seven episodes before you worked out, oh, okay, she's not quite all there. Or the same with like Danielle Staub. But with someone like Aviva, she kind of flew under the radar for quite a while. I mean, there are definitely red flags and warning signs, but she No, doesn't... totally. I liked Aviva. Also, right. I'm amazed that you gave Kelly and Danielle six to seven episodes there before. <laughs> I mean, that was I think I was on to them much faster than that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, what am I saying? Yeah, but yeah. I agree that Aviva flew under the radar and presented, if anything, as... I would argue the new Alex in terms of the sort of listener taking on the kind of friend role and for my money being a bit of a flip-flopper between the women of wanting to be friends with everyone. So she was sort of trying to peacemake but consequently was stirring stuff up quite a lot because she would go mm-hmm. between them and say, oh, I really think you should make up with this person. I think you should make up with this person. Again, I'd argue that her similarity to Alex was her lack of ease or comfort in front of the camera. So again, it was a bit like um, Joyce and Lisa Vanderpump's cringeworthy interaction when mm-hmm. Joyce is, is trying to take the reins on Beverly Hills when she first arrives and to kind of insinuate, uh, to instigate drama. I feel like Aviva, you just want to tell her to slow down a bit at first. She's sort of right. quite clunkily trying to play the show. But but never coming off as mad or, if anything, she's a little beige for a long time. She, I, I, I really um, agree with your point about it. Just uh, she, she's very clunky, and I think to look at her on paper, she should be the perfect housewife in that she is aspirational. She's intelligent. She jumped through every single hoop. She had a fight in her two short seasons on the show with every single housewife. And she gave us an iconic moment, like she she threw her leg across the room. All of those um, things. Spoiler she should alert, be... but sure. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, sure. I'll snip that. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like she should be still there. She should be the MVP of that city. And that kind of... Like you say, clunkiness. Yeah. And it was just, it was is, all in the delivery. Is why she's not. Right. Exactly. And like Kelly Bensman, I think the show got to a point where they were like, it's the show's no good if come the reunions the person stops making sense or stops being able to like viably argue their way out of things the show is dependent and it's one of the reasons that I think Ramona's still there she's very good at like you know the apologizer and at at getting out of each bout of crazy so that she comes back whereas if you're going to dig your heels in like like Aviva did come the end of season six the show had nowhere to go with Aviva anymore people don't Mm. want to just see that same argument continue and so I feel like she'd she'd hit her her limit um and by that point it just felt like she was flailing shall we take it all the way back to the beginning just set a bit of all uh, the way back I'll talk you through when we're introduced to Aviva because she's actually the very first of the new batch of housewives that we meet um, in the very first episode of season five. And funnily enough, it's Luan who um, has kind of carved out a side career as being 
the housewife burdened with the task of introducing these new women to the show, even though in reality she clearly has no idea who they are. So we meet Aviva walking with Luann in Central Park, and Luann tells us how they met, which is basically just the standard housewife's cliche of, oh, we met at a cocktail party many years ago after I moved back from Switzerland. But then Luann takes, I just wanted to highlight this, she takes the story in a direction I wasn't expecting when she says... And our eyes caught each other from across the crowded room, and we looked at each other, as attractive women do. And suddenly, <laughs> I just kind of felt like I was privy to some of like Luann's erotic fan fiction of herself. And it's like a tipping the velvet situation betwixt her and Aviva. And then she carries on by saying, Aviva's poised and graceful and charming. You would never know that she had a handicap. <laughs> <laughs> tactfully said (laughs) so then you're thinking oh what is her handicap and I don't know about you the assumption for me watching that talking head was that we would then hear a conversation between the two of them about what this handicap is but we don't Luanne just barrels straight on through talking about her kids and her boyfriend Jacques and France and then they speak some franglais together and at this point you're thinking did I just miss here Luanne (laughs) so then we find out in a later scene, Aviva and Sonia know each other because Aviva's ex-husband and the father of her oldest child is none other than Harry Dubin himself, who um, is a bit of a, a man about town when it comes Harry to Harry Dubin. Group of women. We gotta give him something. <laughs> oh God, he's such a scoundrel, isn't he? You know what? I think that if you look up like Dirty Harry in the dictionary, it's just a picture. Yeah. Of- Harry Dubin. He definitely, I can imagine him being like an 80s Wall Street guy doing coke Mm. in the bathroom on his breaks. So Aviva says um, that they still get along, but their breakup was for the best. And she, the reason for the breakup, she phrases quite vaguely. She says, he was um, too um, social, which I took to mean he's a complete slag and probably also does coke on the reg. And when she's talking about this with Sonia and Luann later at a party, because, of course, Luann also has had dalliances with um, Harry Dubin, Aviva gives me the very first red flag, the first of many that I will get from Aviva throughout her time on the show, where she says, oh, quite the triangle. And the way she says triangle, (laughs) I was like, that's not right. That's sociopathic. You know, sometimes the little things... I have to tell you quickly a story. Hit me. It's just one of those things where I I met someone at a bar and they brought along one of their work colleagues and I just didn't get a very good vibe from him the whole night and I really didn't enjoy his company, but I couldn't quite put my finger on why. And then we got the check and we split it four ways. And then when the waiter brought over all of the checks and then he brought over two pens, my two friends shared a pen. And then this guy who was sitting opposite me took the other pen and signed first and then took the pen and just pocketed it. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? I mean, it's one thing, I fine if you want to take the pen, then take the pen. But also, don't, if you're going to steal the pen, you need to be the last one to use the pen. Do you know what I mean? So then I had to like that sit there and go, oh. sociopathic. It was. It was such a power play. And it was sociopathic. And so I just had to sit there like a lemon and kind of like wait for the other two people to finish using them. So there was one pen between three of us. And then he just took the one pen by himself. Like I, I wish that you'd stood, pointed in his face and thrown a drink or something. I heard. I heard that you exactly. were mean. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's what uh, I'm talking sorry. about. So that was a little detour. Sorry. But the triangle thing, whilst, 
you know, horror that she put the emphasis in such a strange place, but is also an example of how Aviva, you could tell throughout the series, was constantly looking for what her storyline was and pushing those storylines. And I do feel that that was a moment where she was trying out, is this kind of strange love fest with Harry Dubin between all of us, the angle that we want to go for with the show and it did feel like she kept pushing it just slightly too hard so it wouldn't organically come up like you know throughout the series she'd sort of try and push it there and then with that conversation in a way that to me just introduced Aviva as not a great performer on the show and that is a typical rookie housewives move and we see it again you know just a season or two later with Jules kind of her shtick she's decided is that she's mixed race and her her dad's Jewish and her mum's uh, Japanese and that's like her thing and she really really pushes it and it does always kind of belie a kind of a lack of security in your own position on the show that you feel like you need to kind of keep playing up this thing which I get I, I bet I would do that if I went on the show like it must be really hard when you come in new and if you don't immediately have someone like Ramona gift you having beef with you or like having a fight with you it must be hard to know how to kind of secure your place the problem is is that you can see Aviva really feeling out so like you said she tries the the Harry Dubin triangle uh angle and she then that kind of she kind of lets that sit there and then she tries the angle that she has really bad anxiety and she's scared of all of these things and there's that scene where she's in the back of a cab saying like they're gonna go for dinner somewhere i can't even remember what it is but they're going up for drinks on a top floor and she's explaining how she has all these phobias and that she has you know gas masks and stuff at home because she carries around such anxiety right and like hazmat suits and for the day of reckoning she's going to be prepared and even then when she's saying it for the first time you kind of get the sense that everyone even a sympathetic ear like heather's kind of like oh yeah all right okay it just even that feels very forced and then she kind of really settles on um as luann says her handicap which is that she had her leg amputated after a, a farming accident when she was a child and that she now wears a prosthetic leg and we first discover this in a scene when she goes to get a pedicure with Sonia. So Aviva turns up with this big tennis bag and she like starts to unzip it, to which Sonia quintessentially remarks in um, her talking head. She goes, oh, I know that bag. Eric Clapton used to bring that to lunch and then we go play pool. <laughs> <laughs> Never change, so. So as she's unzipping it, Aviva says to Sonia, and no, this isn't a tennis racket I'm pulling out. It's uh, to which Sonia goes, a machine gun. And then Aviva pulls out (laughs) her spare prosthetic leg. And we get the classic housewives cymbal sound effect, you know, the zhoom, which means like, this is important, pay attention to this. And so Mm. Sonia goes, oh my gosh, I forgot. But like she says it in the most casual way as if she's like forgotten to take her multivitamins that day rather than the fact that this woman that she's known for several years is an amputee. Yeah, I think from the minute that she pulls that spare leg out of the tennis bag, it begins a sort of problematic relationship with Aviva and her leg on the show. Because the truth is, I feel like most of the housewives, apart from maybe getting some good TV out of like asking her questions when they first meet her about it and maybe like one trip back to where it all happened and kind Mm of her overcoming that fear the show would have been quite happy to leave it there but Aviva won't sort of leave the leg storyline alone to the point that I think the show is put in an awkward position of of having to tread the line between like where it's comical and where it's 
you know, tragic. It's it's heartbreaking that she lost right. her leg. And sometimes I think she really is trying to raise awareness on the show in a way that I appreciated. I didn't at all see Aviva as someone coming in where I found her ridiculous. What then happened, I think, over the two seasons was it got twisted into something else obviously culminating with her like throwing her prosthetic across the room she she literally weaponized her leg Mm -hmm. yeah and it there was a sense of even in season five that i don't want to phrase this clunkily but kind of picking and choosing when that was kind of like a quirky character trait Mm. that she had or when it was something uh deeply tragic and 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 no doubt traumatizing for her and then also kind of not understanding or being a bit shocked as to then why you have scenes where she's in a jacuzzi and you have Ramona Singer typically for Ramona Singer asking loads of questions like no I don't want you to get your 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 leg wet and Aviva going look I just want to be treated like everybody else like don't pay attention Mm. to it it's kind of like well you've come in hot with this in the first place and I get that it has to be broached at some point but then if your your tagline is referencing it then I you think can't be surprised. That's if... the problem with Aviva in general is that she she would constantly pick and choose uh, when to be okay with something and when not. And and you get it with the leg thing a lot, and you get it with the Harry Dubin thing a lot. She constantly brought up Harry and that relationship, and then sort of tried to pull on her first reunion uh, that it was insensitive for the other women to talk about Harry in front of her, and that that was something really upsetting for her to go through that divorce. And I just I think that that is a continuous problem with Aviva um and and you know something frustrating but I feel like we're getting we're getting bogged down in like in the minor irritations when she has has so much more to offer than just her contradictions shall we skip ahead then let's skip ahead because let's face it the first three quarters of her first season Aviva's fairly beige you know she doesn't go on the trip to London and if anything, she actually she actually has to kind of go and check with the girls that she's not going to get left out and that it's not going to be like the cool girls versus her. Oh, that's so weird. It's that so scene. cringe. Yeah. It's, I honestly, it's one of those moments where she just doesn't get the show at all. She's so insecure about her place within it. Um, she introduces her dad, who I honestly can't talk about in oh, God. this episode I know. because I, I'll get I so stressed it. out. Yeah, but it's no. too much. You'd have to do a whole episode on it. He, but she introduces. I'm, I think, thinking it will give her more color and more flavor. And all it does is, I think, make people feel sort of deeply uncomfortable. So the truth is, we don't really get any fire behind Aviva whatsoever until Saint Bart's, and suddenly Oof. she introduces herself as someone capable of inciting confrontation on the show and being like a big personality, someone able to butt heads with both Ramona and Sonia, which is pretty mammoth to take on and sort of be able to hold her own. I feel like St. Bart's is where she gets her first taste for blood. So so the context of St. Bart's is, remind me, so all of the girls go on holiday. All of the girls go with Carol to to St. Bart's because Carol's um, sometime boyfriend, Russ, uh, of course, that is Russ of Aerosmith, is playing a concert in St. Bart's and Carol... It's ironic because Carol is the spitting image of Steven Tyler. (laughs) (laughs) That's very funny. Um, The ladies have gone to St. Bart's and Aviva has decided that she can't go because she's too frightened of the little plane. The little plane that takes them from the mainland over to St. Bart's. And she makes the decision that she would only be able to make that journey with Reed there 
read her incredibly lovely, dependable, but like the most boring man on the planet husband. Yes. Yes. Um, so Carol relays this to the other women and Ramona and Sonia, perhaps most of all, are upset at this idea that like it was a girl's trip and the girl's trip's been ruined. And what seems to upset them the most isn't necessarily to do with Reed making them uncomfortable, but seems to be this idea that like if you could bring your husband then I could have brought my husband. And mm-hmm. I don't believe that that's actually about being like, I would have liked more quality time with my husband. I think what they really mean is that the balance gets shifted from being like the secular group and the intensity of the group for filming with the husbands there. I think what they're saying is that like, they have a different hat on, I think when it's the husband stuff and the drama. And to be honest, I feel like their annoyance is more to do with control being taken away. And... Mm-hmm. I feel like it's a bit like a Jill Zarin, like, I wasn't ready moment of being like, why is Aviva getting to to play by different rules right now on the show? It's almost like Ramona and Sonya going, no, hang on, this is going to be a wild girls trip. Like, Luan's going to fuck a pirate tomorrow and then he's going to come back and Sonya's going to have a go with him. Like, That's we're it, not is that you've this. nailed it, is that the show, it's that the tone gets shifted and we've done a whole series where we've seen Aviva and Reed, we've seen, you know, they all went to Miami and they were really dull and i think yeah. that ramona and sonia were hoping it would be more exciting those episodes are dull you know mm-hmm. we've also seen you know their anniversary party they it's cute but they're not interesting they're not entertaining and like mm-hmm. you say i think that they feel that the entire tone will be shifted by a sort of formality that will come with aviva and reed coming together aviva and reed show up and sonia and ramona are drunk in the pool and Let's be honest, they don't give a very warm welcome. It's not the end of the world. It could have it could have been water of a duck's back. Aviva gets wildly defensive of Reed, less so about herself, and you know, how dare you be so uh I mean everything is to do with like how dare you be so inappropriate in front of my husband, but also so unwelcoming and so dismissive and um Aviva kicks right in. You know, she's not even changed from the plane. She's in a salmon pink blazer over oh, a white yes. shirt. Such an aeroplane outfit. Like, it's I love it. It's exactly the kind of thing that I would wear. And yeah. she gets into this argument and she gets Ramona pumped up enough to do like a Ramona special. And Ramona starts screaming her, Calm down, take a Xanax. Um... <laughs> also seared into my memory. And Aviva comes back with this very cutting, you're both, quite frankly, white trash. And at that moment, there was a real gear shift. Oh, I'm sorry, Quibble. What, What is it? It's just because this is seared into my memory. It's it's not you're both quite frankly white trash. It's you're both white trash, quite frankly. And that quite frankly tacked on at the end has stuck with me for a good 10 years. Honestly, whenever I've never called anyone white trash, but if ever I get slightly heated or say something and I really want to just, you know, emphasize it, draw a line under it, I always add, quite frankly, at the end of it. Quite frankly. And then storm off in my salmon pink blazer. Stella, thank you so much. I I stand corrected. There was a real gear shift at that moment because suddenly Aviva showed she could step up to the plate in a way that Carol certainly hadn't. Carol at this point has been fairly meek and dry 
even Heather hasn't really fought with Ramona. She's sort of smiled a lot and she's tried to placate her. And mm-hmm. suddenly Aviva's like, bring in the big guns. Um, and it gets even better because the next night she kind of has another falling out this time with Sonia. And uh, we get one of my favorite bits where Aviva's standing in like a brown bikini, uh, yeah. calling Sonia a double dealer. And Sonia completely trashed in this like Hawaiian maxi dress comes out with this line where she says you call me a double dealer you'll see your ass where it ends up yeah which is so wonderful for so many reasons mainly because it doesn't make any sense but it's said with such conviction that I completely bought it like weirdly Sonia makes a very powerful exit on that line it's the closest I've seen Sonia almost scare me i kind of if i was there in person it would make me set up there's real intensity to the way she says it the way she leans across the table she's very she's very strong in that moment so uh, you know not to um to dwell on the madness of saint bart's too much because to be honest all it does is introduce aviva as a player in a way that i don't think aviva thought that she would be Mm. and you get this very strange thing at the reunion that Aviva is suddenly very apologetic and she goes very like a politician and it's like she's worked out that she needs to mend these burnt bridges in order to have a successful second season and you really see I think a, a different side to Aviva like I said it's like a taste for blood where she started to like metamorph into a crazy she's clearly trying to do damage control in the reunion not necessarily out of any um sense of wrongdoing that she feels herself but i just can imagine her being a first-time housewife obsessing over twitter and going oh i don't look good so i need to undo Mm. this and really being driven by how she appears on the show which isn't a great way to approach being a housewife as a start and then trying to make amends but having that taste for blood it's then contradictory. She can't then pursue that with Ramona and Sonia because she wants them on her side. So she's literally just flipping it and doing the inverse and now going after her former allies, Heather and Carol. This is where I I feel like way more psyched to talk about um, season six because I feel like all of that was almost exposition. It's like necessary context. But season six, Aviva comes in and it's like she's had a personality transplant or it's like Oof. the the transformation is almost complete and nowhere i think is this more apparent than that first lunch with carol and there's a moment that i want to talk about that can i, I just suppose is your triangle moment uh mm. that really like gets the hairs on the back of my neck up and i do have a very hairy back of my neck <laughs> i've seen it i know <laughs> <laughs> What were you going to say? I just wanted to say, just because chronologically it comes before this, and it's a very small thing, and it plays into what you're saying, I feel like. Correct me if I'm wrong. I just want to talk about... This better be good, James. I want to talk about Aviva's uh, drinks with Ramona, the episode before when she's trying to make up with Ramona and do damage control, and apologize for her behavior last season. So they meet for drinks and immediately before Ramona can even sit down, she's smothered with compliments. It's like, oh my God, you're amazing. You look amazing. Your hair is amazing. It looks whiter than before, but it's amazing. But I'm not going to say that just to get in your pants. (laughs) 
and it just it's completely the wrong tone and then she suggests a load of a shot of tequila and a point's made by both ramona and aviva that she's not much of a drinker and in fact she's never done a shot in her life but at this point she's now like we get a montage of her basically double fisting tequila shots and then like Mm. chasing it down with a glass of white wine and then aviva says like oh i feel like i'm on a first date and now i'm about to lose my virginity as if as she's like sucking on a lime wedge and then she kind of like dubs herself aviva the witch and she's cheersing to it and and it's like Ramona for once in her life Ramona is the normal one and she's the audience and she's sitting back eyes wide just taking it all in and it's just this weird kind of Kelly Ben Simone-esque script that she's written for herself yeah but how creepy do you find it that Ramona goes for it like Ramona says in her talking head like Aviva is up my ass big time or something like that like it's so kiss ass it's so performative and I find it really weird that Ramona rather than being like yeah I'm not really there yet I'm not really in that place or whatever really goes in for it almost like a weird power trip so I yeah I know I agree with you I find I find that whole scene like really uncomfortable and and you're right well to me that would be the real first instance of seeing this shift in Aviva however I would argue that that scene just comes off as Aviva's overcompensation to make up for damage done the season before. My hairy neck tackles moment mm-hmm. is far more about like a new Aviva okay. that comes with this new dawn. A new Aviva that comes with the dawn of a new season. Oh, oh my God. This is so epic. <laughs> Tell us. And that <laughs> is they've just sat down and Carol pulls her chair in and there's this tiny moment where Aviva goes, do you just kick me on purpose? Mm, yep. And Carol's like, sorry, what? And then she's like, you just kicked me. How weird is that? It's it's this strange little dig where, and it's why I completely get that as much as Aviva likes to present that that lunch, she came in and Carol and her were all good and she was just looking for Carol to celebrate the launch of her book, Leggy Blonde. And Carol was super unsupportive and she implies that it only went sour because Carol asked whether she had a ghostwriter. To me, that little comment about the kick shows the air that Carol was already walking into. It's already deeply uncomfortable between them. And it's so weird because if you were to sit down, if you and I were to sit down to lunch Mm -hmm. and you were to kick me under the table as you sat down enough for me to comment which would be a lot like I have to say you could kick me pretty hard and I probably wouldn't say anything obviously because I'd assume it was an accident if you kicked me really hard I might say you just kicked me under the table but I don't think I would ever say did you just kick me because it's immediately being like do you have a problem I know what Aviva's trying to do I know she's trying to make it uh a quirky little fun moment between two friends and it would be if it was shared with carol but carol doesn't know what she's talking about and it's kind of why i think it's a bit like the scene with ramona where if ramona jokingly said oh i thought you were a witch aviva and then aviva off of that takes that material and goes yeah i was a witch to aviva the witch and there was some kind of repartee Mm. but there's not Aviva was just kind of barreling through with this monologue essentially so Aviva was kind of saying Carol's lines for her it would be normal if Carol came in maybe kicked Aviva and then Carol went oh god sorry did I kick you in the leg and then Aviva was like yeah on my good leg no less exactly "Ah." exactly and then like that's it exactly and 
that whole lunch is so uncomfortable. Even the thing with the glasses, like it just, it, it like you say, it's all so scripted. It's all so Aviva is just offering up all of this bait, basically to see which thing Carol ruffles at. Well, I think that this scene is so interesting. And for me, in many ways, it's a bit like the brass monkey fight where we said a couple of weeks ago, that was a case study into opposing styles of debate technique and here's again it's kind of we have the two extremes we have the embodiment of sprezzatura my my wanky word in carol that kind of carelessness that looseness that laid back inness mm. and then we have the embodiment of affectation in aviva and that kind of thing with the leg kick is just one of those moments and it kind of sets the tone for the rest of the scene where carol doesn't want to be there she's just doing it out of politeness she's been worn down and she just has to sit and witness aviva pull every kind of trick out of her bag so then the next thing she does is she goes um kind of like announces a bit too loudly like i have 15 heart men in my apartment oh yes and, yeah <laughs> and then carol's like what and she doesn't really ask. And then again, without missing a beat, Aviva's like, well, they're all movers. and But they're gorgeous and they're straight and they're in my apartment right now. And she's like squirming around in her chair, like feeling herself. Meanwhile, Carol's just munching on a bit of bread going, oh, okay, cool. And Aviva just keeps laboring this point and it's so rehearsed and it's so robotic and it just goes on for far too long. And she's like, they're big and he's moving things and he's taking objects from around the house <laughs> and wrapping them up in bubble wrap so they don't get damaged on the journey and they're placing them carefully in the car will buy like she's just outlining the job of a mover <laughs> but kind of in this like weird sultry tone as if she's doing an audiobook like for 50 shades of gray but also i think as if she and carol have that kind of relationship and i think the truth is that carol and heather have a very organic relationship in which they seem to have that ease with each other and mm -hmm. it's one of those i think your affectation thing is so true that it's like in the same way that aviva's turning up to that meeting with Ramona and drinking and all of this stuff about feeling like she's on a first date and stuff. She's she's trying to bring a sort of lasciviousness to her and Carol yeah. as if they do girl talk like that. They do dirty talk, but they haven't. They've done quite sort of deep, occasionally sort of meaningful listening to each other and that's it. So yeah. there's like an, it, it leaves a bad taste. It leads a bad taste and it's, it has a discombobulating effect because then she then starts taking that lascivious tone and then applies it to like a bowl of pasta. You know, where she's like, you want to share a bowl of pasta? With like a raised yes, eyebrow. Yeah. And she's really giddy as if it's like a really naughty thing to do. And I think it's that combination of something really mundane delivered in a contradictory tone is kind of weirdly threatening, even more so because Aviva's trying to be nice. And this is where it gets interesting because Carol in her talking head in this scene calls Aviva's behavior both creepy and weird, which are two words which we really took Kelly to task for, in part because it's such kind of like nebulous language. But here it's different, it's appropriate. And because even a wordsmith like Carol is reduced to that kind of vernacular because Aviva really can be off-putting in a way that defies categorization. You are just kind of left dumbfounded going, oh, it's just a bit weird. And it kind of reminds me of um, an article that I read this week. And this sounds like a bit of a long-winded way of describing Aviva, but I think it really fits. It was an article about algorithms on YouTube that um, can kind of like automatically create these videos for children. And by taking mm. things that it's learned, like uh, learning colors and numbers and emotions and combining them with this kind of like crudely animated off-brand Disney characters 
and the result is something a bit kind of off-putting because they're automated and it's pretty hard to pass the gap between human and machine, which is already a bit unnerving. And most of them are hard and uh, harmless enough, but without that kind of human arbitration, kind of inappropriate adult content might be introduced and it falls through the cracks. And the overall effect is not necessarily upsetting or necessarily even inappropriate, but it's just decidedly off in a way that's quite elusive. You can't put your finger on it and articulate why exactly, but it just doesn't sit quite right with any right-minded human. It's unsettling. And that's Aviva. I think you've got that bang on. I think it's that unsettled feeling which comes with like, even when she takes like the glasses out the bag and the sort of single white femaleing sort of sense. Um, And so we get Bookgate. And can I just say as a quick sidebar that as a result of Bookgate, we have an introduction to one of the best cameo roles, I would argue, in any series of The Real Housewives of New York, Please, can we talk very briefly about Amanda? Oh my God, Amanda, what a train wreck. Oof. So for anyone that Nuts. doesn't remember, Amanda is sort of briefly introduced at Sonia's Kabbalesque party where she mm-hmm. sort of sits and makes snide comments about, you know, this is what menopause looks like. And there's that bit where she goes, oh, I just saw a nipple. And she's basically trying to get herself camera time there's this horrendously clunky bit of her trying to get with Harry Dubin. Who would want everyone's sloppy seconds? Just like, ugh. Not even sloppy anyway, seconds, sloppy fourths. Like sloppy Sonia 14th, and Luan have been with it. Like, yeah. Exactly. And this Amanda chick, as Heather calls her, ends up at a Hamptons party hosted by Luan <laughs> and somehow finds herself in the eye of the shitstorm of the storylines already planted in the show in a way (laughs) that's so glorious to watch because she's not one of the housewives. She's effectively like a passerby that gets like whipped up by the tornado but just will not extract herself. And honestly, it's one of my favourite things to watch her throughout that party. She gets into this huge fight with Heather, where by the end, Heather's threatening to deck her. Gangster Heather is just one of my favourite things ever. I absolutely adore it. But one of my favourite moments is when Aviva and Carol are getting into Bookgate again. And they're sort of having what should be their airtime on the sofa and what's so fascinating is that we actually don't hear like any of their conversation at that party because the whole thing ends up getting dominated by Amanda sat on the other sofa in this like pink and white floral maxi dress yeah like passing advice on what she thinks the situation is when literally nobody knows who she is yeah they're like who is she what is she doing here who brought her but she's fully standing over them and being like, if I could just interject, I <laughs> yeah. think you just, I think you both got the wrong end of the stick. And you can see everyone's like, get her out. Like, this is not, this isn't meant to happen. And then there's a bit where Laurent's like, come on, come and have some pie. And it's like trying to like yeah. get her out of the room. And she have keeps being hostess. like, I've just got to say, but I've just got to say this. Like, I think it's so sad that you guys are fighting. And it's like, who is this? Jane? I'm obsessed <laughs> with those women on all of the housewife shows, like the day 
Dana Pams who aren't housewives, who aren't quite friends of, but like know that they maybe have a chance and they really work the cameras for all it's worth thinking they're going to get a ticket on the show. I'm obsessed. They are worth their screen time in gold. You know what? Another one I love who's like a tiny, tiny cameo is the woman in Beverly Hills at the Morocco party at Mohammed's house who is asking the women whether they call their husband daddy. Oh, yeah. Isn't yeah, she yeah, yeah, yeah. Those people, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like blink and you'd miss them. Proper cameos. Yes, exactly. Yeah. They should make a coffee table book full of them. Business idea. <laughs> Christmas is coming <laughs> For up. Us. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, can I just say like another uncanny point that's sort of just coming to me that I have to get off my chest is, you know that scene between Kristen and Aviva when they have a meet-up yes. and it's a kid's play date. So they bring their kids yes. into the arts and craft shop. So they start talking and Kristen, she like takes one of those um, stress balls that's like in the shape of a little cartoon character or something, a little monster, and she squeezes it so that both of the eyes pop out. And Kristen <laughs> goes, oh, who does this remind you of? Ah, like, And she does a little Ramona impression and laughs. And Aviva sits there, stony-faced, and then it cuts to a talking head of her going, when Kristen made fun of Ramona's crazy eyes, it offends me. And it puts me on the defensive. As if, like, Ramona's crazy eyes are, like, a disability or something. And it's just, it's, it's not. It's just one of those many quirks that you have on the housewives that's kind of now it's just become accepted as a as a universal truth and it's fair game it's like making fun of Luann's pumpkin head or something and it's very it's very Alex McCordian of Aviva in that moment because she's really taking umbrage and then going hard on someone else's behalf without their blessing or even in this case with their knowledge so anyway in that scene so Aviva's already coming in on the offensive and Kristen is doing the complete opposite and she's very calmly saying with the kids there that she would like to squash Bookgate can we move past it or at least like Mm. I don't want to be put in the middle anymore because I really like you Aviva and I want to try and be friends to all parties to which Aviva shushes Kristen and in hushed tones goes can we just keep it non-hostile around the kids and Kristen says oh yeah I mean sure but like I'm I'm not being hostile because she's not and she just says she doesn't want to be involved in book Kate, to which Aviva says, not in a hushed tone, and with the two children next to her, if you don't want to be involved, then shut the fuck up. <laughs> and again, it's... Isn't that just... It's the point where Aviva just becomes a walking contradiction. She becomes a Kelly because... And this is where the show, I think, is like, we have a problem because she's going to be good for one season. But once you start to be someone who can contradict themselves to that extreme within a couple of sentences, you you start becoming nonsensical for the show and it doesn't work. It's like those YouTube videos. It's like her algorithm failed and she was like going into that scene programmed for a kid's play date and somehow a phrase that's Mm. designated exclusively for an adult argument slips through the cracks and comes out of her mouth. It's just so unnerving. Yes. And she's so mercurial. That scene is so good. Right, I think it's time. I think it's time for... um, for us to talk about that shocker of a finale and for me to get my deep dive on. But I'm limbering up here. I'm doing my stretches. (laughs) Here we go. I feel like some context is needed. Um, I mean, if you've got this far and don't watch the show in depth, then I really suggest that you switch Classic FM or or something else on. It's nice at the moment. They have carols playing. Like, it's, yeah, what are you doing? Bizarre, Save yourself. Still. But still, We're lost just calls. to get myself in, in the right headspace, some context. So we have this this whole sort of asthma or no asthma 
storyline in which Aviva, having been invited on yet another trip, says that the reason she can't go is because she's been diagnosed with asthma and that the altitude would be too high in Montana for her to go on the trip. And this leads to her sort of sucking on various asthma inhalers like a vape. That massive one. She hits on the God. big circle one. The one that looks a bit like a um the Gumping one that looks like a, a bit like a tuna. Yeah. No, it looks like a, a tuna for like an acapella yeah, choir. Yeah. Um uh... Aviva <laughs> Aviva gets supposedly diagnosed with asthma and when this is called into question by the other ladies, because it is quite abrupt and sudden and you know, I don't think it takes a medical degree for most people to say it seems quite unusual to be diagnosed with asthma so severe out of nowhere, having never experienced any difficulties before that you you cannot in a warm temperature be at that altitude. And a lot of the women suggest, I'm not saying you don't necessarily have asthma, but do you think that maybe you've exaggerated how bad the asthma is in order not to be on the trip? And Aviva does not take take well to um to this no, criticism no, no. we see her throwing medication at Kristen. we oh, see her gosh. endlessly sucking away on these asthma inhalers a bit like a child who's been told they need glasses and won't take them off it's like her new toy where it's like she's she's unstoppable and she loves a prop she loves a prop and she keeps going on as well about how like would you be would i be able to do this if i didn't have asthma <sighs> It's, it's very so emphatically done. <laughs> yeah, but it's so <laughs> underwhelming. And the truth is, I don't know about you, but like we all had friends who had asthma at school and were like, oh, let me try your asthma inhaler. Right, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not like it killed you. Yeah. Um, so it's like quite a poor line of defence. Would I be able to do this? And all of this uh, it culminates in they've, they've come back from the trip to Montana. There's this wonderfully performative bit where Aviva sees Sonia who for some reason is now Aviva's biggest supporter to the hilt which is really bizarre because Sonia in other seasons even if she likes someone is quite quick to understand both sides or to to say to whoever she's talking to like no 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 no, like I get it like um you know you were just trying to do this or whatever like she's she's quite a placator of people Mm -hmm. Um, when it comes to Aviva, Sonia suddenly is like her her number one fan. So Sonia returns from this trip and is very quick to tell Aviva that the other women are doubting her asthma and her illnesses. And there's this wonderful moment just before Sonia before Sonia says that she says, um, "All the women are talking about you. All the women talked about you on the trip." And Aviva says, "Oh." Was everybody worried about me? Oh. She knows for a fact that no one was going, oh. I hope Aviva's okay. And again, it's just one of those moments where I feel like she she's just a terrible actor. You know, yeah. she may have gone to Vassa, but she didn't go to Rada. Right. Um, <laughs> anyway, Aviva decides that she's had enough. She's had enough of people questioning the validity of her asthma. And obviously we we find ourselves at this climactic finale which takes place at one of my favorite backdrops to any oh confrontation god. in housewives history yes the team sonia party oh my god we just need to take a moment because this motley crew is too <laughs> much that is so sonia 
is throwing a party celebrating everyone on Team Sonia. Now, some people listening, if you didn't, again, watch the show, but for some reason we're listening to this podcast, you might assume that Team Sonia was like her core team, her publicist, her manager, perhaps, maybe an assistant. No, you would be incorrect. Reader, this this party (laughs) is for her vet, her dentist... (laughs) A psychic. It's for basically everyone that Sonia has ever encountered in her life. And of course, her copious interns. Every gay who's ever set foot inside the townhouse is there with like a glass of carver, just watching this all go on. It's like every right, person, and then, and, every ancillary character who's made a cameo throughout the season, they're back. Exactly. And in memoriam. And, and Sonia gets up and makes this like seemingly half an hour long speech in which she seems to both tell her life story but also just like list every single person that's there Mm -hmm. um and they each dribble in one by one and aviva turns up in this sort of pillar red dress and james Mm -hmm. boy oh boy does she have a plan yes she does oh my god she's got a bag of tricks a a literal bag she has this giant gray kind of canvas mom bag over her shoulder, which uh, I don't... Well, I'm going to come back to that later. So... Just a little smoking gun, <laughs> as it were. Or Chekhov's gun. What is it? <laughs> Chekhov's gun. <laughs> a little Chekhov's gun. <laughs> We're just going to put that to one side. We'll come back to that in a second. Um, exactly. So... I, f- I, I don't know about you, but I feel like it's one of the least organic confrontations... Um, that the show's ever had in terms that it pretty much feels like you know how constantly on the show they're like can we go for a drink to talk about this thing and it basically means can we go for an argument and they have the bit where one of them's always waiting for the other and is like on their phone and then is like hi and they say a sort of polite hello but then they get straight into it this feels just like a whole cast one of those so Aviva's one of the last to turn up yeah. and the others are all stood around a table and it basically feels like they are stood just waiting to have this conversation and this argument. And there's like very bizarre pleasantries at the beginning where everyone's pretty outwardly rude. There's this bit where Kristen's talking about how much weight Aviva's lost and mm-hmm. Aviva, has a, she has a talking head about like, I'm fine thanks for asking like you know they're not going to ask like this whole that the setup is just so forced so aviva gets them all around the table and i i wanted to note that i feel like this is one of the first times certainly in in new york where it's been pretty much an entire cast versus one person rather than sort of two sofas worth of women arguing right it's like a very specific mm-hmm. setup, the scene, which I think is one of the reasons it feels quite forced because it's it's not able to be like an argument with like crossfire between lots of different people or two people arguing and then people being spectators. It's it's very much like one person sort of flailing at, at, at this point and trying to make their mark on the show. So Aviva does this, this really, I, I know I keep, coming back to the word performative but she honestly she outperforms Alex McCord in a big way with this moment where she goes I'm actually really upset it turns out my doctor was lying to me and for a second I think they're all a bit like oh my god is she actually going to try and make this like it turns out I don't have asthma and she 
goes on for a second second, but then it becomes very clear so she starts to pull x-rays out of her bag and she's like he did these fake x-rays and that's weird it's my name on the x-ray and he gave me all this medication and at this point a lot of the women just start to drift away and go look i aviva i can't you're you're crazy this is i don't care that much yeah everyone's just so jaded everyone's just got their head in their hands that's the other thing is a lot of the women it's so cringeworthy that they're actually like watching through their fingers which gives the whole scene this very meta feel that like even especially the ogs have a real sense that they're like she's doing this wrong she's doing this all wrong i agree i feel like everyone knows that this is going to be the last time that they film with aviva i feel like the writing's on the wall everyone can see like and even the show like even when she's doing this whole bit they're playing the comedy music underneath like they're not even playing the tension music they're not even giving her any status they're just like yo this is all about to get cray one thing that i had to say that really made me laugh is when andy cohen at the reunion asks aviva whether when she went to her doctor's office she took a load of business cards knowing that she was going to give them out to the other women because there's this bit where she Mm -hmm. gives them all her doctor's business card Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah and he basically calls her out on what we all already know, which is how pre-planned the entire thing was. And the art of, I mean, obviously, that you know, we know that the show has a, a, a huge level of artifice anyway, but she really broke that illusion because she came, like you say, with props, like the theatre of it all. Well, the thing is, is like, if we talk about Alex McCord missing the mark. Aviva Drescher misses the mark, but the difference is Alex is at least, it may be performative, but it's also spontaneous. And the problem with Aviva is that the amount of prep that she does is inversely proportional to the dramatic payoff. Absolutely. But also... Which is just unforgivable for this kind of show. The amount of prep that she does betrays the spontaneity of it. Like... (laughs) Exactly. So what's so glorious is that the women are so exhausted by Aviva at this point that they all just trail off and go and stand on the other side of the room but the problem is Aviva's not done so Aviva has to call them back (laughs) to ask them to sit back down and it's brilliant because like she knows she has this pièce de résistance to kind of like finish the show off but she also knows she's running out of time so she has to start rushing it and she Mm -hmm. sort of starts like panicking and you can see this moment where she's like I've I've kind of got to do this now. And the problem is that the conversation's starting to trail away from this idea of me being fake or like the doctor stuff being fake. And I really need it to get back to it being about fake because I've got this whole <laughs> yeah. fake bit coming up and I'm scared that someone's yeah. going to move on and start talking about something else. And Heather, it's this incredible like tableau where Heather suddenly, Aviva chucks the medical records at Heather and Heather stands up and she holds them up like over her head stood over Aviva and it's like it's like she's holding up the kind of like beating heart of this storyline that they've all Mm. been dancing around and then she gives this incredible reading of this line with such intensity where she says like you say you've been hurt by all of us around this table I find that laughable and it's honestly (laughs) one of my favorite Heather moments and at that moment I swear Aviva's like shit i I just gotta do it now and even though yeah it doesn't correlate to what heather's just said aviva's just all. like no sense it's just like shot in the dark here we go fumbling around under the table she's fumbling around and she just looks heather straight in the eye it's her moment of glory and says let me tell you something heather the only thing that is fake or artificial about me is this 
boom biggest boom that the new york's history of housewives has ever put in that sound design and the leg is on the table and my favorite bit about this whole thing is that the entire room gasps and then the editors immediately cut to luan laughing yeah and again there's this like meta thing that they're sort of trying to plug the dramatics of it everybody then gets the giggles in the room and all you have is shots of like all of these people standing behind laughing and Luann sort of trying to hold it together but almost looking at the camera laughing it's like a curb your enthusiasm like it's like a the office moment like see what i have to put up with it's so curb your enthusiasm yes absolutely and it's like the moment that the show for that season, it just descends into a circus. It's just sheer madness. Like, they know they need to get a beaver off. And then it cuts to each of the housewives reacting in a way that is very true to themselves. So you have Heather just outwardly laughing at her. You have Cool Carol just putting up her hands going, oh, fuck this, I'm, I'm out. out. Then you have Luann being like, take your foot off of the table, as if it's like her <laughs> elbow or something. Kristen's like <laughs> retching in the corner. She's the only one who's really bothered by it. And then Ramona and Sonia are just like chatting in the corner like they haven't even noticed, you know? Like Sonia's just riffing on the x-rays looking like her boob. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and then I think, I think exactly that, that it like cuts to all of their reactions. No one really cares. Everyone sort of, there's this like disparate feel across the room. And I think potentially my favourite Aviva moment of all time so post slamming her leg down and post them sort of saying what happens to each of the um, housewives at the end of the season, there's this incredibly awkward but perfect shot of Aviva sort of full of adrenaline, hoiking her dress up like around her armpits and then like slinging this giant mom bag over her shoulder before <laughs> kind of looking over and realise that everyone else is sort of just chatting and no one is looking at her or cares. And then just sort of awkwardly shuffling out of the event because the party's over. The party's over. And and so is her career. Absolutely. Thank you. It's funny, isn't it? Because it has become a bit of a recurring theme on this podcast. We talk about authenticity or lack thereof and how a lot of the women really do push it and it can be their demise. And, you know, whether it be Alex acting in Morocco or Kelly talking about the supposed, you know, uh, goings on behind the scenes and there's this alternative narrative they all kind of toe the line of authenticity. And I would argue that Aviva fully is the only one who walks up to that line and then throws her leg over it. (laughs) And this is where Aviva poses a problem because she is responsible for one of the most famous scenes in Housewives history. But paradoxically, it's an act that poses an existential threat to the show because it may be entertaining, but it's not authentic. And if it's not authentic, it's not real. Then it doesn't work. Absolutely. Yeah. She, uh, She danced with drama... And she got burnt. Put that leg in the Smithsonian. <laughs> right, should we wrap this up? Should we oh, call it a please. day? Because I don't know about you, I can't, also, I can't go any further. My bum is but killing me. Before we go... I should explain, I'm, I'm oh, sat yeah, down I'm, on a hard I'm... floor where I have previously <laughs> been stood up. So, so let's just say goodbye with, as always, our traditional favourite moment of. What's your favourite Aviva Drescher line or little shot? Apart from her, her exit from that party, I think it would have to be all the way back in in season five it's in saint bart's and it's the morning after her first fight with ramona and sonia and there's a conversation going on in ramona's bedroom with carol and aviva walks past and overhears and then like inserts herself in the scene and basically continues the fight but there's this incredible moment where 
she goes to Ramona, I really thought that you of all people would put up a banner that said, well done, Aviva, you did it. Rah, rah. (laughs) (laughs) I think that rah, rah is my absolute favorite Aviva moment. Rah, rah to that. I think my favorite is, actually, I I, want to highlight a glory moment for Aviva because I, I always think about the time that Heather Holler Thompson goes really street, oh. as she says, on Aviva. And she goes, don't tell me anything, motherfucker. And then Aviva, without missing a beat, just putting her phone into her clutch, goes, did you learn that in prison? And then walks off. And I thought that was actually very smooth and very quick of Aviva. So I like snaps, rah-rahs to Aviva. Snaps for Aviva. What, rah-rahs for Aviva. You got to give her a little something to send her off into that little consolation that prize, absolutely. What are we... T- God, I'm, I'm tired even asking. What are we talking about next week? Okay, so next week, um, we're going to do something a little bit different, and I'm quite excited for this. So we're actually going to take it back a bit to our um, dearly beloved Kelly Ben-Simone, and we're going to do a deep dive, or I'm going to do a deep dive anyway, on her book that she wrote, which is... <gasps> very difficult to categorize it kind of defies any genre but it's part cookbook car p- part cookbook part, <laughs> <laughs> part uh, cookbook carpe diem just leave it at that and this that and the other etc etc <laughs> long story short it's a complete hot mess and i look forward to sharing its best bits with you ellie so don't read it i'm not going to tell you anything about it Wait. We're going to talk about it next time. I'm a complete hot mess. I'm looking forward to it too. Thanks for joining us this week on the Housewives Archives. Make sure to click subscribe and follow us on Instagram at Housewives Archives so you'll never miss a show or a great meme. Uh, While you're at it, we would really appreciate a rating or if you'd simply tell your friends about the show, that would help us out too. Thank you for joining and we'll see you next time. Bye. Ra-ra. Ra-ra.